Hello, good day, and welcome to today's Pindis podcast show. In this episode, we are going to be looking at a book review. The book of choice today is called Atomic Habits. Subtitle is An Easy and Proven Way to Build Good Habits and Break Bad Ones. And this book is written by James Clear. And another anecdote is Tiny Changes, Remarkable Results. And that's the slogan. We are going to be looking at the introduction, which is my story. On the final day of my sophomore year of high school, I was hit in the face with a baseball bat. As my classmate took a full swing, the bat slipped out of his hands and came flying towards me before striking me directly between the eyes. I have no memory of the moment of impact. The bat smashed into my face with such force that it crushed my nose into a distorted U-shape. The collision sent the soft tissue of my brain slamming into the inside of my skull. Immediately a wave of swelling surged throughout my head. In a fraction of a second, I had the broken nose, multiple skull fractures and two shattered eye sockets. When I opened my eyes, I saw people staring at me and running over to help. I looked down and noticed spots of red on my clothes. One of my classmates took the shirt off his back and handed it to me. I used it to plug the stream of blood rushing from my broken nose. Shocked and confused, I was unaware of how seriously I had been injured. My teacher looped his arm around my shoulder and we began the long walk to the nurse's office. Across the field, down the hill and back into the school. Random hands touched my sides holding me upright. We took our time and walked slowly. Nobody realized that every minute mattered. When we arrived at the nurse's office, she asked me a series of questions. What year is it? 1998, I answered. It was actually 2002. Who is the President of the United States? Bill Clinton, I said. The correct answer was George Ray Bush. What is your mother's name? Uh, um, I stalled for 10 seconds past. Patty, I said, casually, ignoring the fact that it had taken me 10 seconds to remember my own mother's name. That is the last question I remember. My body was unable to handle the rapid swelling in my brain and I lost consciousness before the ambulance arrived. Minutes later, I was carried out of school and taken to the local hospital. Shortly after arriving, my body began shutting down. I struggled with basic functions like swallowing and breathing. I had my first seizure of the day. Then I stopped breathing entirely. As the doctors hurried to supply me with oxygen, they also decided the local hospital was unequipped to handle the situation and ordered a helicopter to fly me to a larger hospital in Cincinnati. I was rolled out of the emergency room doors and toward the helipad across the street. The stretcher rattled on a bumpy sidewalk as one nurse pushed me along 
while another pumps each breath into me by hand. My mother, who had arrived at the hospital a few moments before, climbed into the helicopter beside me. I remained unconscious and unable to breathe on my own as she held my hand during the flight. While my mother rode with me in the helicopter, my father went home to check on my brother and sister and break the news to them. He choked back tears as he explained to my sister that he would miss her 8th grade graduation ceremony that night. After passing my siblings off to the family and friends, he drove to Cincinnati to meet my mother. When my mother and I landed on the roof of the hospital, a team of nearly 20 doctors and nurses sprinted onto the helipad and wheeled me into a trauma unit. By this time, the swelling in my brain had become so severe that I was having a repeated post-traumatic seizures. My broken bone needed to be fixed, but it was in no condition to undergo surgery. After yet another seizure, my third of the day, I was put into a medically induced coma and placed on a ventilator. My parents were no strangers to this hospital. Ten years earlier, they had entered the same building on the ground floor after my sister was diagnosed with leukemia at age three. I was five at the time. My brother was just six months old. After two and a half years of chemotherapy treatments, spinal taps and bone marrow biopsies, my little sister finally walked out of the hospital happy, healthy and cancer free. And now, after 10 years of normal life, my parents found themselves back in the same place with a different child. While I slipped into a coma, the hospital sent a priest and a social worker to comfort my parents. It was the same priest who had met with them a decade earlier in the evening. They found out my sister had cancer. As the day faded into the night, a series of machines kept me alive. My parents slept restlessly on the hospital mattress. One moment they would collapse from fatigue, the next they would be wide awake with worry. My mother would tell me later it was one of the worst nights I've ever had. My recovery. Mercifully, by the next morning, my breathing had rebounded to the point where the doctors felt comfortable releasing me from the coma. When I finally regained consciousness, I discovered that I had lost my ability to smell. As a test, a nurse asked me to blow my nose and sniff an apple juice box. My sense of smell returned, but to everyone's surprise, the act of blowing my nose forced air through the fractures in my eye socket and pushed my left eye outward. My eyeball bulged out of the socket held precariously in place by my eyelid and the optic nerve attaching my eye to my brain. The ophthalmologist said my eye will gradually slide back into place as the air seeped out, but it was hard to tell how long this will take. I was scheduled for surgery one week later, which will allow me some additional time to heal. I looked like I had been on the wrong end of a boxing match but I was cleared to leave the hospital. I returned home with a broken nose, half a dozen facial structures, and a bulging left, bulging left eye. The following months were hard. 
I felt like everything in my life was on pause. I had the double vision for weeks. I literally couldn't see straight. It took more than a month, but my eyeball did eventually return to normal location. Between the seizures and my vision problems, it was eight months before I could drive a car again. At physical therapy, I practiced basic motor patterns like walking in a straight line. I was determined not to let my injury get me down. But there were more than a few moments when I felt depressed and overwhelmed. I became painfully aware of how far I had to go when I returned to the baseball field one year later. Baseball had always been a major part of my life. My dad had played minor league baseball for the St. Louis Cardinals and I had a dream of playing professionally too. After months of rehabilitation, what I wanted more than anything was to get back on the field. But my return to baseball was not smooth. When the season rolled around, I was only junior to be caught from the varsity baseball team. I was sent down to play with the sophomores on junior varsity. I'd been playing since age four, and for someone who had spent so much time and effort on the sport, getting caught was humiliating. I vividly remember the day it happened. I sat in my car and cried as I flipped through the radio, desperately searching for a song that would make me feel better. After a year of self-doubt, I managed to make the varsity team as a senior, but I rarely made it on the field. In total, I played 11 innings of high school varsity baseball, barely more than a single game. Despite my lackluster high school career, I still believed that I could become a great player, and I knew that if things were going to improve, I was the one responsible for making it happen. The turning point came two years after my injury, when I began college as Denison University. It was a new beginning, and it was a place where I would discover the surprising power of small habits for the first time. Well, now we have a lengthy introduction. This book is quite intriguing because it tells you a lot about um, how you handle adversity and um, taking um, little steps at basically solving adversity and dealing with problems that um, life has to offer. So I'm just going to summarize the book. For our listeners, Atomic Habits by James Clear is a best-selling self-help book that explores the science and psychology of habits. Clear breaks from the process of habit formation into a simple, actionable framework. He emphasizes the idea that small incremental changes can lead to remarkable long-term results. Clear introduced the concept of atomic habits, which are tiny, highly measurable changes that when consistently practiced can lead to significant personal growth. The book is structured around four key laws of behavior change. The law, Q, makes it obvious 
This law emphasizes the importance of clearly defining cues or triggers that initiate a habit. By making cues explicit, it's easier to build new habits. The next one is craving. Make it attractive. Clear highlights the need to associate positive and attractive emotions with the habits you want to establish. This creates motivation and desire. The other one is response. Make it easy. The book suggests that simplifying the process of performing a habit can make it more likely to stick. Reducing friction and obstacles is essential. The next law is reward. Making it satisfying. To ensure a habit becomes ingrained, it's important to provide a satisfying reward or reinforcement that reinforces the habit loop. Claire discusses the concept of plateau of latent potential, which suggests that often visible progress is slow initially, but when there is a sudden and significant improvement as habits accumulate and compound over time. The book is filled with practical advice on how to implement these laws in everyday life. It encourages readers to focus on identity-based habits, which involves shifting one's self-image to align with desired behaviors. Claire also exposes topics like habit tracking, habit stacking, and social influences on habits. Atomic Habits is praised for its actionable strategies and clear writing style, making it accessible and practical for anyone looking to improve themselves and their habits. It has resonated with a wide audience, from individuals seeking personal development to professionals aiming to enhance their performance. The book has become a popular resource for anyone looking to make meaningful, lasting changes in their life. And there we have it for the summary. And then uh, we now draw to the end of the show. Remember to subscribe to the Spindus podcast show so that you can receive future episodes. The Spindix podcast is available on multiple streaming platforms such as YouTube, Zeno FM, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and much more. I'd like to thank the listeners that keep returning back to the show, your support, and continued interest in the Spindix podcast has been highly appreciated. Wishing you a very wonderful day, listeners. Take care of yourself and have a wonderful day. Thank you once again and goodbye.